Sonic State Okay, hello everybody and welcome to Sonic Talk number 206, recording today live Wednesday the 9th of February. Um, you'll be able to view this, or, or not view it, but uh, certainly listen to it via good outlets of MP3s, iTunes, and via the sonicstate.com site on Thursday the 10th of February. Um, want to welcome everybody in the chat room. We've got a bumper crop, and that's probably one of the reasons we've got that, is because we've got uh, two extra special guests this week. Uh, the first is Michelle Moog-Kosa, who is uh, Bob Moog's daughter and are you sort of executive chairperson executive of the bob moog foundation how what's your official title executive director of the bob executive moog is it like C- yes. ceo does that yes, say, yeah that, that. That, that sounds yes. good too ceo of the bob moog foundation i even said moog in the traditional um, proper way rather than the rubbishy british way that i've become um I've, I've become fluent in which i know is wrong now i've actually got a, a real life moog I, I realise what it is, though, Nick. I was thinking about this before coming on. I think we're allowed to say it. Like, uh, Americans called tomatoes tomatoes. Maybe so you're right. This, so I think this is the British way of saying Moog is actually Moog. Right. Well, you'll have, I'll leave you to discuss that with, uh, with Michelle <laughs> in depth. Perhaps. <laughs> Me, I'm, st- I'm staying on safe territory, I can assure you. Uh, and, of course, we have, um, well, what's the, what's the URL? Bob Moog Foundation, or was it the Moog, moogfoundation.org? What was, what's the best place for people to see what uh, your organisation is up to, Michelle? The Moogfoundation.org, M-O-O-G Foundation.org. I did it, didn't I? I did. I'm just reverting back to type. I'm totally sorry. Okay, you keep on doing it and I'll keep on correcting you. It's kind okay. of a lifelong thing I've got going here. I, could, I can see why you've it. become so high up in the organization, clearly. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you're co- you're correct, the, corrective, the, the Moog Corrective Facilities. Right. Um, well, Michelle, um, welcome to you. And also welcome to that other voice you heard there was Gaz Williams, our resident Welsh producer based in Bristol. How are you, Gaz? Yeah, I'm really good. Thanks, Phil. I, I am now. I've, I've had really bad food poisoning, but oh, I'm just, on the, just recovering. Oh. Yeah, dodgy, dodgy takeaway. You know what? I saw <laughs> you. I saw a tweet from you or a Facebook update that came view on my, through my stream, and it was om nom nom nom, which I'm guessing it was you eating stuff. Is it related to that particular event? Uh, no, no, that's that's something different. That's a Good. silly website. Om nom nom is about you find photographs where people look like they'd be uh, sitting or enclosed by something, and you just draw sort of silly teeth on them, and then write om nom nom nom. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll have to experience that. Well, anyway, so um, that was related. <laughs> songsurgeon.co.uk is uh, Gaz's website. Yep. And um, that other voice you heard there was Tara Bush, Miss Tara Bush, in the house. How are you, Tara? I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, you you you've moved and you're kind of um, you up, you've got the studio set up and things are moving on a pace, I imagine. Yeah, kind of, sort of. We just um, we just moved into a place in Cardiff about a well, actually exactly a week ago, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, getting the studio set up and I just actually started working away again yesterday and and, and it's funny how quickly I I messed the place up and it looks like home again. So. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, yeah, well I'm, gl- I'm glad to hear that. There's nothing like it being like home, is there? And that other voice you heard in the background was Math Lewis, who is uh, your creative partner, amongst other yeah. things. And uh, you're both sharing the mic, as I said in the, pre- the preamble, in a sort of uh, backing vocalist, cuddle up kind of uh, fashion. So you'll be doing harmony. Is that right, Math? Yeah. That's correct. Beautiful, beautiful harmony. We don't need any auto tune or anything. It just comes naturally. <laughs> no, unlike, of unlike course not. Black IPs. Who <laughs> needed, needed it desperately the other day. Well, it's part of their sound, isn't it? To be fair. 
That's what I'm sticking to. Um, so uh, analogsuicide.com, tarabush.com. Where else do people, is that, are those the best places for people to see you? Yeah, definitely. Uh, analogsuicide.com. We're actually um, reconstructing it at the moment and it should be unveiled when math. Um, about- uh, last, last week it should have been, but uh, <laughs> probably next week in a massive fanfare and you'll be able to read about it, I'm sure, on every synth stroke music blog on earth. Oh, yeah. Okay. You, you're really gearing up the PR machine for this, are you? Enormous. Enormous. Yeah. No expense yeah. spared. There'll, there'll be tens of people hearing about it. <laughs> well, so let us know and we'll, we'll help spread the word in our small way. Anyway, thank you. Thank you both for joining us. And uh, we've also got Rich Hilton in Connecticut. I'm, for, I'm sort of, um, I usually go geographically, but it's all gone completely out the window this week. So uh, how are you, Rich? Very well, thanks. You? I'm good, yeah. Uh, Rich Hilton, of course, uh, manning the controls for Noel Rogers in his private studio, amongst many other things, uh, producer, engineer, accomplished player and the like. Have you managed to leave the building and uh, get out for a pint of milk, or is it still snowed in? Oh, no, we've been back and forth. been a busy week at the studio this week, and uh, really a lot of fun. So, oh, excellent. Uh, yeah, it's been great. Really happy with all my new toys that I've gotten over the last year. Ah, new toys. Software, soft, software, software toys. toys. Okay, well, maybe uh, we'll hear about that, I'm sure. Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, finally, but not leastly, uh, Dave Spears from G4Software.com. Hello. From your ever-decreasing sort of storage stroke office space facility. It's a nightmare now. <laughs> Dave Spears just sent me a picture of... Uh, what is that thing you've got in the room there? It's a Wurlitz... Uh, hang on. Instructional console electric piano. Oh. So, so it's brilliant. It's got lights that light up on the musical stave above your head. So finally, I can see what notes I'm trying to play. <laughs> so you get, you get, get people coming up to you going, no, that's on the wrong key. Sorry, you shouldn't have had that, that note in that chord. Uh, there's a strange thing with the sharps and flats. You have to kind of push a button on the side of the illuminated area. And it's like, mm, it's not really true, is it? But uh, anyway, we struggle through. Well, welcome, one and all. Uh, we, we'll, we'll talk to Michelle first, because, uh, Michelle, we're, we're very privileged to have you aboard. Uh, I saw you, actually, at the NAMM show, where um, Moog were kind of... You were, you, were, you were doing some kind of press, and uh, you had an, uh, some, um, exhibit, an exhibit there, which was, I believe, a kind of cabinet with uh, lots of stuff from the uh, archives. Um, perhaps, perhaps first you can sort of explain a little bit about um, what is the Bob Moog Foundation? Well, the Bob Moog Foundation is a small nonprofit located in Asheville, North Carolina, which is in the southeast of the United States. Um, it was founded by Bob's family, friends, and colleagues right uh, after he passed away in 2005 with a mission of carrying on his legacy through igniting creativity through the intersection of music, science, history, and innovation, which were all things that Bob was all about, and they were all ways that Bob touched people's lives. And the goal is really to um, take the way that uh, Bob Moog's legacy impacted and sometimes even transformed people's lives all over the world and carry that um, to the present generation and to future generations as well. And um, we're doing that three ways. One is through our Moog Lab, which is um, a program where we bring electronic musical instruments into the schools to teach kids science through music. Um, and the other is through preserving Bob's extensive and historic archives. And we can talk more about those things later if you want to get into detail. But um, oh, yeah. those are our 
those are our two main projects, and um, those two projects will eventually converge into our planned future Mogzeum, um, which will house Bob's archives and be full of interactive experiential exhibits. Yes, I, I saw there's some great um, – you sent me some great reading material. There's a, a brilliant uh, sort of three-dimensional cutaway shot of kind of what you have planned for the museum, the layout of it, a sort of giant circle with an auditorium. And it looks a bit like the Hollywood Bowl, the kind of um, – where – not the Hollywood Bowl, I'm not sure, but it's, it reminds me of the Tom and Jerry Orchestra place, which I believe is in, holiday, ho- uh, in uh, Hollywood, right? Which has a, a large, white kind of hemispherical uh, yes. dome over it. That. Yes. It, look, it looks yes. fabulous. Is that so, – so is that um, – have you got a kind of ETA for that? Are you kind of working towards a particular date to kind of get that built or is it just an ongoing thing? Well, you know, we had an ETA for that until the economy tanked and oh, right. um, so, some of our financing went with it. So it's a, it's, it makes it a little bit trickier uh, to predict, but I would say it's safely five years in the future at this point. But essentially everything that we are doing now, all of our efforts are geared towards seeing that facility come to fruition. So uh, one thing, I mean, because you've got kind of very different streams and threads to the organization. How do you kind of prioritize? Because I'm sure you must be getting a lot of pressure from people, um, particularly sort of Moog Moog fans, sorry, who who would be um, just dying to see the archive stuff and get their thing, you know, just take a look at that. and, uh, And yet you've also got the educational thing. How do you kind of figure out which gets priority? Well, it's not too hard to give priority just to those two two things. I'm working on them pretty consistently um, together. And, you know, sometimes they they kind of go hand in hand because we do some educational stuff through the archives as well. So, um, as I said, we're a small organization. I'm actually the only employee. Uh, So, I just, I I try to do a little bit of both and I have um, people who are helping me with both. So, we we are making progress on both fronts, which which is good. So tell me a little bit about the archive. It's very sort of uh, it's, it's put uh, in in sort of rather uh, charming term terms of, of there was a sort of aluminium shed in the garden that was where Bob did most of his work, and you've just kind of been it's like a treasure trove of archive material of tapes and all sorts of stuff. I mean, what are you, what kind of things are you finding there? I mean, it must be exciting. It is. It's it's very exciting, um, and we. Uh, the the shed that you're referring to was actually Bob's workshop for a very long time. Right. Um, we moved down to North Carolina as a family in 1978 um, after Bob left Moog Music and started Big Briar. And Big Briar was named after the cove where um, our house was located because we lived way out in the country at the end of a very long country road. And uh, that that um, he had his workshop right across from our house and that is where he he kind of uh, stored his archives for the last five years of his life or so and no one really knew what was out there except for one of his engineers who didn't um, think much of it and after he passed away we eventually wandered out there and we were all taken aback at the amount of material that was there um, we were also a little taken aback that it was in slightly decrepit form because it had been in a in a hot and humid environment for five years. But once we kind of sorted through and got things cleaned up, uh, we were just amazed. And I've had more than one historian in the archives with me, even in that um, um, less than desirable environment. And 
everyone that goes in there is pretty much blown away by by the both the depth and the breadth of material. And you touched on um, the most delicate medium in the archives, and that is the the reel-to-reel tapes that we found. We found about 300 reel-to-reel tapes dating from as early as um, about 1964, wow. um, upward, upward to um, uh, the early 80s. An audio letter that Bob sent to Herb Deutsch, um, who was the musician who commissioned the first, what would then become known as the synthesizer. Um, it's, it's the audio letter that he sent with the first modular, explaining all the parameters of the first modular. Um, it's an 84-minute tape. Um, there are also tapes in there from Sun Ra, Wendy Carlos, Isao Tomita, um, from Roger Powell and uh, Chris Swanson, John Weiss. These were people who actually worked closely with Bob. So there are some bigger names and some lesser-known names, but all fascinating material kind of tracing um, a musician and engineer's path in pioneering mm. synthesis. Well, so are they, are they kind of spoken word or are they kind of audio examples? I mean, what sort of form do they take? Both. Both. Um, we have quite a bit of Bob, and that is all spoken, well, mostly spoken word. He plays a little bit when he's demoing, and the other pieces are, uh, are audio, are, uh, you know, uh, compositions by different um, pioneering synthesists, essentially. So is it, does it, was, it represent like a correspondence, or were people kind of uh, coming in and out of this workshop and kind of visiting or what have you? Well, it's not. It's not all centered around any one workshop. They're just uh, they were academics and uh, kind of experimental musicians, along with some more popular musicians who were just sending Bob what they had done with this instrument. Since it was a brand new instrument and no one really knew early on what could be done with it, they were you know kind of you know showing that showing him with pride what they were able to do with the instrument that he created. Oh wow! So. <laughs> yeah, so it's there's some really amazing material, and we got two grants from the Grammy Foundation to restore some of those tapes, and we've just completed um, restoring 88 of those tapes. And as soon as we, ju- through some legal hoops and get clearance to share them, we'll be sharing some of that material on our website and through other mediums as well. Um, but in addition to the reel-to-reel tapes, we found hundreds of, of photos. There are equally hundreds, if not thousands, of articles by and about Bob, um, beginning with the first article he ever wrote on how to build your own theremin back in 1954, uh, which essentially launched his whole business and career. Uh, there are breadboard prototypes and all kinds of instruments, including the last Minimog ever made, number Thirteen thousand two hundred and sixty-nine. Uh-huh. It was given to him by Moog Music, and um, also just kind of lots of equipment that he used, and tools, project notes, and something that I kind of consider one of the real gems of this treasure trove is uh, he saved all of his desktop notebooks. That's exactly what they say on them: Des- desktop notebooks. They're stenographic uh, notebooks um, that he would leave by the phone and he would make notes in so there are daily notes about whatever he was having 
phone conversations about, whether it's that he was going to give a lecture somewhere or what specifications Wendy Carlos needed on, you know, some custom modules. So there are, you know, there are plans and schematics and correspondence and all kinds of things that are, are noted from Bernie Krauss and Herb Deutsch and uh, Wendy Carlos and Tomita and wow. Larry Fast. And yes, it just kind of goes on and on. And we have... We have um, those desktop notebooks. They span about 20 years. Well, that is a real treasure trove. I mean, uh, it's interesting. I mean, I'm guessing, you know, I guess people assume that you, uh, the whole Moog family were kind of involved in this and it was all sort of something that you were aware of at the time. Is is that the case or is this a kind of new discovery for you as well? Um, It is very much a new discovery for me and for much of my family. Um, My father really held his career at at arm's length. And I think part of that, I mean, there, there are probably many reasons, but part of it is because he was very humble about his, his accomplishments. And I think he even felt like they were, they were a bit overblown. And so he, he didn't bring it home too much. And even when we would ask or or inquire about what he was doing, he, he, um, Oh, he this and that. Is it, was it a yes, bit like when, exactly. you, when you ask your children uh, what they did at school today and it's just kind of like, oh, you know, just nothing. <laughs> More or less. Um, you know, actually, I, I tell people that uh, I would call home from college and I would talk with my mother, who was more chatty of the two, and uh, we would talk for a while. And then I'd say, well, can I talk to dad? And he was kind of more serious, quiet of the two. And so I found I kind of had to pull conversation out of him to begin with. And so we talk a little bit about school and I'd say, well, dad, what are you working on? And inevitably, I know you asked me not to swear, so I won't, but um, I'll, pay, I'll, I'll clean it up. What he would say to me every time when I would say, what are you working on? He'd say, oh, same old stuff. Ah, I think I understand what the uh, what the substitute may have been there. Right. right, just like, come on, Dad, give me something to go on here. So, were you were you very much shielded? Just even because I mean, presumably he was dealing with people who were like really quite big celebrities of the of the time, you know, of, on, on an ongoing basis. I mean, were they completely away? Or did, did 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 you know? Did you ever get exposed to any of that stuff, or was it completely out of uh, out of the family sort of side of things? It wasn't completely out. A lot of um, some of the quote-unquote bigger stuff that happened happened in the early 70s, such as um, any visits uh, to to or from someone like Keith Emerson. Mm -hmm. Um, And at that time, I was five. And uh, I don't don't recall anything um, much happening in that period. But my older sisters, who are five and seven years older, then I do remember going to um, ELP concerts all the time. So they kind of have a, a different recollection. And that was kind of a real heyday when, you know, progressive rock was, was you know, coming into its own. And, um, you know, uh, Keith was all over the place as well as others. Um, and uh, I, I can remember Patrick Mraz coming over. I do remember Iso Tomita coming I don't, you know, I didn't realize when I was five years old, you know, what significance these gentlemen had. But we also, you know, Eddie Harris, I can remember him coming to the house. I don't know if you know who he is, but he's a, he was a wonderful jazz um, saxophonist. And my dad was actually working on a a saxophone synthesizer for him. Something I didn't realize until we found the schematics and all the descriptions in the archive, which is another really important uh, reason to to share the archives is because they do have all this little known information in them. So, 
you know, there was some of these glimpses, but um, for the most part, and after that period, especially, and when we moved down to North Carolina, there was much less of that. I do remember a roadie from Asia coming up to our, Asia the band, coming up to our, you know, home way out in the country and it was such a weird experience because because we here we are really out in the boonies on 100 acres of land nobody's around and my dad you know was there with his kind of cool geeky you know persona with his flannel shirt and all his pants and his worn out jeans and up comes this roadie who's got on the black leather pants and the the black leather jacket and the the long hair and he's he brought he had to bring a uh, a keyboard to get repaired. I believe the the band was performing in Charlotte, which was a couple hours away. So, so that would happen from time to time. And I, you know, compared to the rest of our home life, it was very surreal for those things to to, to happen. Right. So you missed out on all those guest lists just by being that much too young. Oh, <laughs> I did. I did. I'm trying to make up for it now, though. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you're probably getting quite a lot of that. So, how was Nam then? How did you uh, How did you find that? Because there was uh, there was that. It was uh, was it three or four panels um, that you had uh, on display there? Well, actually, the panels uh, that you're speaking of were from last year. Um, uh, Nam has always been amazing. To to answer your question, I I've. I'm consistently blown away there. My first year, especially in 2007, as you can imagine, was a real eye-opener for me. Yeah, I can imagine, yeah. It was the first time that I really came in contact with the industry without my father around, and the response I got was so, you know, fantastically heartfelt and um, just a real... uh, kind of a reinforcement of why this foundation exists. Um, so I, I, I love going to NAM because I like, I like to tell people that's where, that's where my people are. They're at NAM. Um, but the showcase that you're referring to was about four or five panels of archives. And uh, the reason it was there last year is because we did an exhibit of the archives at the Museum of Making Music, which is actually NAM's museum, yeah. located um, in Carlsbad, California. And they brought part of their exhibit up for NAM last year. Our exhibit there ran from August to April, so NAM was kind of right in the middle of that. And uh, that was a really fantastic experience because those items got a lot of of uh, people viewing them, uh, just a, a ton of interest. I was able to hang out there a little bit and answer people's questions. And and it was wonderful to see how interested people were and how engaged they were with all the material in there. So do you find that people are expecting um, you as the daughter of Bob to be kind of almost picking up from where he went on and sort of launch into these highly technical kind of, I was wondering about this particular doodah and what's it and the resistor value and what have you. And uh, <laughs> do you find that that's happening to you a lot and you're kind of having to fend them off? Um, it does happen to me a bit. And I just have to explain that, uh, you know, I, I'm not, a, I'm not technically adept as my father was and uh, I'm slowly learning, but yes, people do, do, tend to think that every once in a while and I just have to laugh as they launch into you know the techno speak and (laughs) (laughs) I can decipher every other every other word or so and usually it's just because it's a verb or the word the or something (laughs) so so you know I'm working on it I'm I'm working on that part of it but uh, it it is funny oh excellent so um 
just uh, wanted to introduce also Tara into this because I mean, you presumably you and Michelle have met, have you? Because uh, you went over to the Moog Fest, and uh, I'm guessing maybe you've met before because Moog. Uh, obviously, Tara, you're a Moog Moog endorsee. <laughs> I keep slipping back. Nobody, I'm not getting corrected, so I must be uh, doing. You're being very polite. We went to Moog Fest. Yes. Moog Fest, of course. <laughs> we met at Moog Fest. It was fabulous. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Indeedy. So, yeah, sorry, go on. So, you, did, did you get a chance to kind of uh, get an idea of what's going on in the archives? I mean, it seems like there's just such a lot there that we're it's going to be coming online for, for years and years. There's years of work to do. Well, I didn't. I actually didn't get a chance to look at the the archives because we were running around so much. But what I did really, really love was um, in the place where we did the workshops. Um, they had the Moog Lab set up, and it was just wonderful to see how inclusive it was and how interested everybody was that was attending the festival. That was, you know, they're going up and uh, you know playing the gear and wanting to know the story behind it. And I think it was in general a really really amazing, inclusive environment. I just, I loved it. But um, it really kind of dawned on me at Moogfest, especially how important it is to embrace technology and, and embrace the things that Bob Moog stood for. So it's, um, I think it's really incredibly important. Well, I mean, I know there was uh, a whole bunch of stuff uh, towards the end of last year. Was it the Pepsi grants that were up for grabs? Um the, that uh, was it Moog that were the Moog Foundation were they going for one of those as well uh yes we we did um submit an application for our Moog Lab um with the with the Pepsi Refresh Everything project and um there was a voting process in in December uh, is okay. that what you're referring to? I think to? I was, yeah, because I just heard that they're going to do it again this year, apparently, because um, this is the Pepsi. that They basically take the money that they would have spent on a Super Bowl ad and put it into worthy projects. It's kind of the short one-line kind of uh, description of how it works. So it sounds like, are you able to re... Uh, did, I don't know whether you whether you got funding or whether or not uh, you can re-submit or... We did not. I mean, it's an extremely competitive process, as you might imagine. It's all sure, by popular yeah. popular vote. So while we are very popular in a certain segment of the population um, worldwide, uh, we are not quite as popular as the uh, Cystic Fibrosis sure. uh, Foundation for Children. Um, so uh, we uh, we did get a, a, a lot of support from all over the world, which was wonderful. Our voting link was shared over 3,000 times on Facebook. Um, but it did not put us high enough um, to to win the grant. We we applied for a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar grant, and only two people out of over three hundred um, won. It turns out that they've totally changed their uh, the structure of their grants because they found with the larger grants like that one that the larger nonprofits with these huge infrastructures were winning every time, right. and that they were. Uh, kind of eking out the little guy. So they've cut out the $250,000 prize and they're doing more of the, of the smaller prizes. So I think um, if we can get some more ducks in a row, um, then we might try again later in the year. Oh, excellent. So just tell, tell me a little bit about the, uh, the, the Moog Lab um, thing. I mean, it's, it, is, it, is it purely science or are you kind of, is it music-based? I mean, how does, how does that work? What's the kind of uh, the way that it's structured? Well, right now, you, you should know that we are, we're still kind of in the pilot phases of uh, creating a more structured curriculum. Uh, you know, 
given my lack of, um, you know, deep technical understanding, uh-huh. this is something that I've been reaching out to the academic community to help me out. And we've been working with a couple of professors from our local uh, college, um, and we've been working particularly with a physics professor, and we we we've come up with a curriculum, and it is um, it is a bit more science oriented um, to teach to really get kids engaged in the physics. I think once we are able to take the curriculum and um, and and test it, um, and we'll be able to expand it a little more to include more musical elements. But for right now, the goal is really to get kids engaged in the basic physics of sound. Right. Okay. Electronic music. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, no, it sounds like a, a, a great project. I was just wondering this because there, there were a number of other topics that uh, I was thinking we might be able to get onto. And the first of which, which was kind of more to do with the, the use of electronic music through education. I mean, do you think it has more to offer educationally than any other forms? That may be rich. Um, I know you haven't had a chance to say much yet. Do you th- would you kind of concur with that? I mean, because I know that you are, you know, formally trained in in sort of both, or from in both normal music and electronic music, perhaps both of the same string. But I mean, do you think it's perhaps something that would be worth pursuing from an educational point of view more so because the kids are going to get more out of it? Absolutely, I love it. I love the idea. It's fantastic to, to bring synthesizers to kids. And uh, heck, I brought some to mine. Um, it's a good way to uh, explain audio, which we're surrounded by all the time. So, uh, yeah, I love it. I love the idea. And I've been following along very closely with uh, the foundation's emails and such and uh, with great interest. And uh, when the time uh, permits, I can tell a few stories about having met Bob and uh, my experiences with the gear back in the old days. Okay, yeah, no, let's hope so. Um, um, uh, what about you, Dave? Because I know you've, you've obviously just got this uh, electronic music uh, instructional device in your place. Um, did, 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 did you say last time we met that you'd actually done a little bit of uh, lecturing based on the sort of synthesis in produ- music production? Yeah, I've done a couple. I uh, did a couple at uh, university here. But actually, the really interesting one was taking it up to my daughter's school, which is just a kind of you know high school and in fact i took the mini moog up because it was really interesting none of the kids had ever seen one before they'd all heard of it and it was a brilliant device to explain the kind of signal path because obviously it defined everything that came thereafter but it was the joy actually after after i'd kind of given my blah and bored them to tears about historical aspects and stuff like that i just kind of let them play for half an hour and dude these guys were fighting each other for this instrument and, and coming out with some weird and wacky stuff, you know, just approaching it from a completely oblique angle. It was really fascinating to see. And I got a very nice letter from the school afterwards, actually inviting me back. But, uh, yeah, no, it was all really good fun. And I can see the advantages in doing it. Which just seems completely obvious to me to, to kind of go that way. Because purely, you know, not only do you get the musical, the educational aspect of the music side of it, but you also get the kind of... The technological side of it, which is obviously, you know, a lot of kids are kind of up on technology and can kind of grasp things much more quickly than perhaps we give them credit for, you know, or uh, certainly the last generation where it would all be completely alien. This stuff is actually a lot more uh, relevant. I know. Definitely. Definitely. And they were, they were, you know, we were discussing, I mean, even... So they've got all of these software devices at their disposal and they're using things like Reactor and stuff like that. But actually bringing it right back to basics and going, a sawtooth will give you this type of sound right. if you want a brass exactly. sound. 
and we were kind of analysing as part of their course. They have to kind of replicate um, a couple of hits. So they were asking about how can I make that sound, and actually、mm. we were just kind of going right, strip it right back to basics. If it's a hollow sound, we're going to start with a square wave, and you could see, you could kind of see it, you know, in their brains, kind of making sense after a while. It was great. No,、oh, no, brilliant, brilliant. You know, and that—that's、mm. exactly the perspective the Moog Lab is coming from as well. That we want kids to know when they, you know, press on a button in a on a on a workstation, you know, in ten years, or when they they're able to put their their finger, you know,、uh, slide their finger on an iPad and get a a you know nice synthesized sound. We'd like them to know where that all originates and to really understand what they're hearing. How those kind of sounds are generated. It's so important to understand the foundation of you know much of our our、um, oral culture right now. Yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it? Because I mean, now we're getting into essentially models of models of synthesizers. It's we're sort of it's almost we're getting into this meta territory of kind of the, the relationship of kind of the original sound source and waveforms is kind of almost feels like it's so far away. It's certainly got to, to try and make the, maintain the link is is critical. Yes, I I think so.、Um, Gaz, you you've been working, you've worked with kids、uh, educational side of it. You, have you covered synthesis and sort of the the, the 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 raw basics, or is it more more production stuff that you work with? No, it's more production stuff. But every time we've done anything with synthesizers, though,、uh, just to cooperate with Dave,、uh, Dave's experiences, you know, they do love it. You know, and the hands-on thing is just wonderful. So,、um, yeah, I mean, I just wish I had a mini mode to take with me, really, to the、uh, to the workshops. But、um, yeah, I I, I I borrowed a mini mode off、uh, Thaipal Sandra.、Uh, uh, who's a great synthesizer player and a friend of mine and Tara's, and、uh, he. Uh, and I, prior to that, I hadn't really had much experience with synthesizers, and it, you know, just for myself. And actually, I downloaded the old manual、uh, I found somewhere on the internet for it, and just for me, it was just this wonderful kind of way of、uh, understanding the basic principles of synthesis. So, you know, I can imagine that the, the, that model itself is just—it's、uh, so clear and easy to, to follow.、Um, so, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well,、um, I, I think we're just going to take a quick break and、uh, welcome our、um, with a short message from our sponsors. But when we get back, perhaps we can hear what、uh, what Tara's been up to、uh, in the meantime as well, because I know you've been up to all sorts of interesting things yourself too. Am I right? Yes. Other other than moving boxes. Other than moving boxes. Okay. <laughs> we're well. Excellent. Well, I just want to say thank you very much to、uh, the show sponsor YamahaDownload dot com.、Uh, they'd like to tell you about mixers and talk about mixers. As, as we know, Yamaha have been making mixers for many, many years. I mean, I think I started out with a Pro, an O one mixer. I can't remember what it was called. It was one of the first digital mixers, and you know now their range of digital mixers is kind of perhaps one of the. Well, certainly amongst the finest that you can buy, they're years and years of experience.、It's、the same with analog consoles. I mean, not many people perhaps know that.、Uh, certainly, for in terms of stadium gigs and large、uh, live events, Yamaha consoles, analog consoles are used. There's a whole bunch、uh, in between those two uh, ranges, though. Uh, you know, a lot of us, even though we like to mix in the box, there are real places where a hardware mixer is essential. Lots of Yamaha mixers for different applications, ranging from analog mixers, little ones for rehearsals, studios,、uh, the, the industry range. 
range of zero series digital mixers, as we know. Uh, um, but they want to let you know about the MG series, which is a line of 12 different more models from 8-channel to 32-channel. The la- latest generation of MG mixers also contain uh, unique features such as single-knob compressor on the channel, which is uh, very handy, which can help tighten up the sound in rehearsals or when recording in a rush. Uh, Yamaha FX processing can, processing can also uh, reduce the load on any host computer. There are also several MEG mixers in the range that have integrated USB audio interfaces so you can uh, record and play back directly and integrate with your computer. Uh, the U- USB models even come shipped with Cubase AI5. So if you're in the UK, go along to a Pulse store, details on yamahadownload.com and uh, check out the construction quality and have a listen and see what the f- facilities are. Also check out yamahaproaudio.com for the higher end and more sort of... Uh, specific and specialised mixing consoles. But um, just wanted to remind you really of the legacy of Yamaha consoles and the enormous range of products that they do have. So once again, thank you very much to yamahadownload.com for their continued sponsorship of the show. Right, so Tara, um, you when we last spoke to you, which uh, you you came to our two hundredth podcast, which was a fantastic affair, actually, a very yeah. very enjoyable day and night. I'm still lying littered with some of the remnants from that particular day, including the <laughs> digital mixer that I'm still using, and uh, some of the cabling still lies across the floor. But uh, you pioneered in the uh, routing of the Sonic Towers uh, studios, I must say. So uh, thank you, thank you once again for that. It was a great great event and um always good to have live music on the show want to do a lot more of that in the future but you were talking about working on um some film projects um or starting out have you been doing some of that i mean what's been happening with that yeah well math and i have um we've started work on a new three-part uh science fiction slash thriller slash horror series that's funded by the arts council um it's called science fiction part one the silence and um, we've just started work on that with a writer named Mark Williams. Um, how long have we been working on that? It's been about three weeks. <clears throat> yeah, in the it's been about process. three weeks. Mark is probably best known for his ad- adaptations of any of you guys with kids in the UK will, will love this um, of uh, what's called Horrible Histories. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, my daughter loves Horrible Histories. Exactly. And he, he, he's, he does all the adaptations for stage from those stories. And um, wonderful guy. And also has done a a lot of work with the BBC and Radio 4 and so forth. And is, um, he's just a science fiction nut. And I've wanted to work, for him, work, uh, work with him for years. So um, we, we brought him on board and myself and, and Tara are working um, together. And the idea of this and the, the reason, the, the single uh, reason why the Arts Council are funding it is because it's, um, the, the idea is to work um, in a new way of creating music and film together. So the idea is to literally be writing the score and the um, uh, 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 and the actual script. Ah, uh, yes, that's right. At the same time, so that they become yeah. as well. So, so yeah. effectively, Mark comes around and we sit in the studio and we we go through story and so forth, and we think of um, elements within that, and we, we're creating sounds, we're creating um, story at the moment, mm-hmm. and then as it goes along, they become more and more exact. Uh, and more, more relevant to the to the final piece, where you're actually creating a full script and a full score, um, and then of course those are put together, obviously in, in, in editing and uh, you know synced, um, you, you know and created in, in in perfection with each other. But it's a it's a really it's a really interesting process. First time in exactly this way, I think it's been done. Though there are certainly some precedences. Um, some of my inspiration was um, uh, the, the old Ennio Morricone and Sergio Leone. Uh, 
sort of uh, cowboy trilogy, spaghetti westerns right. with Clint Eastwood, which I adore. And they kind of <clears throat> um, they kind of did a little bit of this along the way. The score was being created, or ideas of the score were being created while the the, the script was was uh, evolving. So is but it? We, so does it? Do you end up with this kind of almost choreography mm. aspect to it? Because obviously, you if you're working with the music, then the, it delineate it denotes maybe the pace or the movement of some of a scene. Yeah. As a result. Mm. Yeah, and, and the, the idea is to have the, the, the script be uh, as much influenced by the score as the other way around. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and, and at any time, stop me if I'm going on about this, please. But <laughs> um, uh, um, the, the idea is that, that often in, in music, um, film is led by a song. People are making uh, videos for songs. And at the end of the day, we, most of us know how this works. You know, you, you, someone signs a song to a record label and then someone comes along and um, and you get three or four different um, directors pitch for to do a video. Someone picks it and they give you a vague story and then they go, go off and make it. I just don't think that's a really good way of of making film. And also, I don't think that making a film and then what often happens and obviously us being in Hollywood for a while, we've seen this first firsthand. Um, what's happened is someone will just literally give 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 someone a film and they're rushing around trying to find sound alike tracks that will fit in places, whatever, whatever you had their afford. beds in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, and it, some of the music <laughs> we hear with films is just so dreadful. Um, and we've all done this. I mean, Tara's done this and probably a lot of the people sitting here, some, some, uh, uh, publisher will turn up and go, Hey guys, we've got this track from air or from, um, you know, Daft Punk or whatever. Can you create something that sounds a bit like this? And we can use it in our advert stroke film or whatever. And though I understand we, we all make a little bit of money out of that, I just think it's an appalling way for art to be created. Um, and this is our attempt at something, you know, purely art-like. Mm. <laughs> I heard you chuckle there, Rich Hilton. Um, have you, uh, yeah. does, that ring, does, does that ring true somewhere along the line? I have one of these out now. Ah. Right now, all, all over the TV in the U.S., uh, a Hershey's <laughs> ad that, Plays the song "Good Times" by Chic, and uh, it's entirely recreated. Ah, okay. And, well, are you recreating, it, recreating it for your from from your own repertoire? I guess that's a slightly slightly different, perhaps, wow. process. But yeah, same sort of deal, I guess. So, but, to, it's, but it's very it's very important to to point this out. I'm, I'm not against yeah. that, and obviously, no, no, no. I, I didn't think you were. <laughs> no, no, and 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 I've known we've we've done this ourselves in terrorist and I think there's a real. There's a real skill to that. I used to know a, um, a producer in Panath, um, Nick, I can't remember his second name, Nick Strongbox Studios in Panath, which I, I thought was a genius at doing, at literally recreating a, a song um, so, so effectively, you know, getting around obviously all the publishing and so forth. So an absolute genius. And I find it very, very hard. And I think Tara's found that. Yeah, to I, I used to be hard. a sound-alike singer. I'd be, I was, I was, <laughs> <laughs> I'll never repeat this again, so absorb it, <laughs> but I used to get hired, hired to imitate other singers because they couldn't, you know, pay the publishing. So I've, so there are tracks of me out there. Many. Uh, singing like Celine Dion and Shania Twain and all that. What's the, and, uh, what's the best one you've ever done? You've got to name some songs. Um, I think, <laughs> I think the, the Titanic one, actually, I have to boast, they were, it actually induced a lawsuit because it they is, thought it was yeah. her. Ah, oh, well done. God. Is that good? Is, is that I guess that's good. It is. That's it great. is. Of course it's good. It's great. Come on. But Tom Dion's a heck of a good singer. Come on. on hand, no. <laughs> but, um, no, it's, so you know, it's, 
you have to look on the positive side. It kept it, it keeps it fun. Keeps <laughs> keeps your shops up. I so suppose. Tara, tell me tell me about the process though. From your point of view, being the yeah, musical well, side of it, how does how does it work for you? I mean, what. Are you finding, because I mean, we all joke and laugh about the uh, creative director coming in and saying, I'm thinking purple or, you know, some abstract term. Are you just like living that the entire time or is it something, a different process? Um, I mean, it's, it's um, gosh, it's, it's really incredibly unique because it's, it's so new to all of us. Um, you know, me, me, Math and Mark, the way we're working this and um, we're just kind of, diving in with it but it's um the the really cool thing from my perspective is as it's sci-fi um the actual subject matter of the film itself revolves around sound um so it's it's a part of the the plot if i can say yeah Yeah. so it's um the sound is actually for want of a better phrase a character in it in a way and that's kind of kind of the best i can get at describing it at the moment because we're still kind of in the process, but it's, um, it's an incredible, uh, experience. It's really, really sparked a lot of uh, a real desire to make very, very, very new sounds and be very ambitious and very abstract. Um, as opposed to just writing songs, it's a completely different universe now. So. And, and of course, if, uh, any, any of you guys, uh, um, on Facebook, you can follow, we kind of update every day or so, um, the pro this process, um, or we'll be posting pieces of the film as it's been shot and pieces of the soundtrack. So it's uh, science fiction part one mm-hmm. in, in inverted commas, the silence. Um, pretty, if you, I think if you just put in science fiction into Facebook at the moment, you'll probably find the page. Or oh, right, cool. check out, yeah. out Tara Bush or, or Math Lewis on Facebook and you'll probably see loads of posts we do about it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so people can see how it's, how it's done. Oh, thank, thank you, somebody, for um, posting that up. Well done. Yeah. Somebody a lot quicker than me. <laughs> Chat room is uh, is a fabulous yeah. resource. I have to say, we, we and we've got a, this is probably our greatest ever listening listenership. So, uh, oh, cool. Thank you to right fat, Fatal Rabbit. I thought, I, <laughs> the second I thought that was Fetter Rabbit, that just made me hungry. Fetter, oh, Fetter. God, don't talk about cheese. <laughs> so thank you for Fatal. Uh, some fatal sort of Fetter Rabbit salad. So, yeah, it's a testament to both Michelle and Tara's pulling power there, br- bringing mm-hmm. those numbers in. I like yes. this one too. <laughs> But it's um, but it's really it's it's it actually does you know this whole process has a lot to do with how, um, the the whole Moogfest experience and the Bob Moog Foundation and Bob Moog himself has inspired Math and I in this process that whole kind of real deep desire to make something completely new, and um, just how it it really. Um, <laughs> It, it spans your, you know, he's, I don't really consider myself a musician necessarily. And we're just, we just kind of are artists, but it kind of is something that can inspire that kind of uh, desire to innovate has really, really struck me. If that makes sense. I'm kind of babbling, but. No, no, uh, I completely. So are you finding that you're reaching for specific technology to kind of facilitate this process or is it sort of a, a complete, is it more of a palette? I mean, how do you, you see where I'm going with this? I'm trying to link this back to Moog here. Moog. it's more well it's definitely um i i'm definitely using um i'll use my my voyager and all my mogra fogger pedals but i use a lot of again shitloads of oops sorry lots of um g-force software always 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 it's my my favorite and um but linking linking it back to the bob moog foundation though again it's the um the attitude that we're putting into it, I think, is, I think, very, you know, inspired by how Bob Moog 
was sparked to create his his machines. I think we're in the same way. I think we've really taken that spirit on board to create something new and to create a new okay. way of doing things and that kind of thing. But uh, the but as far as the actual gear I'm using, yeah, the the brand new Voyager is um, definitely going to be a very 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 much a featured character in the soundtrack it's also it's also quite entertaining to uh mark is um though he's a, a big music buff he's never been in front of a synth before oh, yeah. <laughs> it's quite funny to, to bring him up to the stu- terrace studio and see him um sit in front of a um a, a moog voyager and uh and about five or six uh moga fugas so his, his yeah. little face lights up well, put- how, how how is it for the speed of the of the the pro- i mean you know is the output are you able to output things quick does it help make things quicker or slow things down? How does it work from, from that point of view, the flow? Um, it's, um, I, I think it's, it's, it's pretty good. I mean, we're, we're, we're really early days with this. I mean, we're like three weeks into this. So at the moment it's story development and um, the process, the idea isn't to make it quicker, obviously um, it's, it's to make it better. Um, uh, so I, I can't answer that until the, the film is, is done in, in, in the cinema and, uh, oh, the the other thing as well, just to let you guys know, it's also one of the ideas here is also so that um, we can perform it live. So in other ah, words, right, right. Yeah. we're we're doing live um, score to film as well with this. So there'll be a tour. I think we've already had about ten theaters say they want to yeah, do. Yeah, we're really going to start without, out in the UK yeah. without, without even having a script. But <laughs> That's great the sales idea. there, Math. You are oh, yeah. on fire. <laughs> I should be a salesman. <laughs> Yeah, but this is yeah, this is also out of our 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 desire to do a really really unique live show because yeah. we we are just like you know we don't as much as we love just getting up and playing songs we wanted to do something that would really have a strong visual element as well yeah. so we're really excited to get this out on the road live it'll be really cool so, so you're gonna have to kind of get into um, video projection kind of systems and all this kind of stuff I guess. Well- the idea is really to do it in the correct theatres. So luckily we've got a few in Wales that, you know, almost have like an orchestra pit kind of situation. And there's, there's plenty around the country. There's a couple in Bristol and a couple in London who've already expressed significant interest in this. Mm. Uh, and they're set up for that. Um, uh, obviously, Tara does this kind of thing to film a few times and she's doing it with... Um, yeah, actually, there's um, a big film festival coming up in London, Plug Alert, um, called the Bir- <laughs> the Bird's Eye View Film Festival, and um, it is a film festival that focuses on female filmmakers. And it's um, the March March eleventh is the day of my performance, uh, okay. and it is um, it's an event called uh, Sounds in Silence, Bloody Women, and it's about women in horror. And the show is um, I am performing a. A live score to picture for um, a film from 1913 called Suspense. And I'm performing that. And also uh, Imogen Heap is headlining the show. Mm-hmm. And she's um, she's conducting a 40-piece choir a cappella to a movie called um, oh, I can't remember what it's called. Uh, the Clergyman. What's it? Uh, Something about the clergyman. The Seashell oh, and the Clergyman, I think it's called. So it should be a really really good fun night. That sounds but, um, great. Yeah, but it's that's coming up on you know London kids come out of course please. Well, my but mate, the trip. 
Yes. So it's that's coming up, and that's going to. Um, You'll get get to see me fun. play bass again. again? Yeah. Ah, well, that, that, I thought that was an unrepeatable performance, but I'm looking forward to. <laughs> to actually, hope that, but it'll yeah. be my second bass playing in a whole year. Wow. Well, as we we did talk about um, the the loss of the loss of bass lines in popular music, so it's good to see another proponent of of the art yeah, joining well, the fold. Lots of art the fuzz box again. Yeah. But um. And um, yeah, but getting getting back to um, the actual the, the the songs that we performed um, on on the last podcast, we've actually um, we're a new a new thing that I think we're going to do is with the Bob Moog Foundation, we're going to take um, the songs that we performed at Moog Fest, and they were six or seven tunes, were yeah, they? Right. Um, we're going to release those as an EP. And um, donate the proceeds to the Bob Moog Foundation. Oh, so excellent! That's soon too. So it's all a nice um, tie-in to Yay. spread the Bob Moog Foundation love. So that should be coming out soon too. So um, yeah, there you go. Oh, excellent! Well, I'm tying that back to the Bob Moog Foundation. Um, Michelle, can people just donate? I mean, how does it work? How does the funding work? Can you can people have you got a donate button somewhere, or how does it work? We do. We have actually two donate buttons on our the homepage of our our site, and people can donate um, with a credit card through that portal. And there's also information on our site how people can send a donation in. And it's important to to point out that this organization is donor driven. Um, some people understandably but mistakenly think that uh, you know we are fully funded either because Bob left us millions of dollars or because um, uh, there's a misperception that um, we are a part of Moog Music and we're funded by them and uh, neither of those things are, are true. We are a, uh, a small grassroots organization and we were founded on uh, the precept that people who were touched by Bob Moog's legacy and understood the power of it would support our um, our work. So I would encourage all of your listeners out there to do what they can to support what we're doing um, because our work is not limited to Asheville, North Carolina or the United States. Um, as we grow, we will continue to be able to, to impact people worldwide through um, the education and the archives, which we, we hope to grow both online and through you know, traveling programs and exhibits. Excellent. Gaz, you've been uh, awfully quiet there. Is there anything you'd like to add here? I feel like I should give you voice. <laughs> oh, no, I don't think so. Thanks. Okay. All right. Then. <laughs> well, that's fair enough. I just thought I, uh, I should give you the opportunity. <laughs> uh, I think if I just say it's well, worth, it's well worth donating because I donated before Christmas and I got a really nice letter from Michelle. Oh. And it was worth it just for that. Oh, brilliant. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh well, thank you, Gaz. Thank you very much. That was Dave. <laughs> but never mind. The sentiment, the sentiment is uh, is is what matters. Um, okay. Well, um, thanks for telling us what you're up to, Tara. I mean, it sounds like you've got a, 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 a full a full diary ahead of you. Yeah, should be good fun. Yeah. No. Excellent. Um, I think we might have time for one more topic, and I thought this one because I can play a clip now, and uh, this was. Uh, now, well, we could we, we could we could take a vote on it. We've got uh, the sound the sound of drives dying, which I thought was um, it was sort of dry, 
but there's an important aspect to, to it about backing up. Or we've got the how to make figures on on a living wage, which both sounds terribly depressing, but actually I think <laughs> it might spark some interesting um, discussion. So do we have a, a quick a, a, a quick straw poll on that one? Drives or living wage? Living wage. Yeah, I agree. Oh. Living wage. Okay, but I think this is. In, I think that, that, that this um, this was the, obviously the the news. Uh, we posted a uh, a sort of blog type post uh, last week, which is how much music you have to sell to make the minimum wage. This is sort of based on US stuff, uh, and I worked it out that uh, the. I don't know if I'm right here, but I just did a quick calculation. Minimum US wage, according to Wikipedia, is seven dollars twenty five per hour. That's at a federal level. So that works out about thirteen and a half thousand bucks per year, right? Is that does that sound right for from from our American um, panelists? Something I, I like, would hardly call that a, a living a, wage. I would call that a minimum wage. Minimum wage, yeah. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's more than that. But because they the, the article doesn't actually say how much it is. But basically, what you need to re- achieve that is in in terms of Amazon or iTunes, one thousand eight hundred odd units per month. Uh, CD Baby, about the, uh, let's see, oh, well, 155 units a month. Wow, that's that seems like a lot more of a reasonable uh, thing. Uh, eMusic's uh, 3,400 3, a month downloads. Ratsfordy streams, 127,000 streams a month. Last FM, you need about 7.4 billion. No, seven, yeah, seven point, <laughs> it looks like 7.4 billion plays monthly. Which kind of seems sounds very depressing, but actually, you know, it's a headline-grabbing article, and it did generate a lot of interest. But looking at the sort of top two items in that, you know, CD Baby, 155 units a month, that should be achievable, right? Or even even 2,000 units a month if you're up to speed and working and gigging and doing that. That's that seems, e- well, not easily achievable because you've got to be good, right? But I mean, does it? It doesn't seem like it's unlikely. And I actually saw this as, in, in some respects, it's kind of quite a clear indicator of, you know, where you should be concentrating your sales if you are a musician working on the music and trying to sell product. It seems like, you know, Amazon and CD Baby are your best bets because you're going to make the most sort of amount of return for it. And when you consider, you know, you might get fees for gigging or, well, maybe not fees for gigging, but fees for um, writing music to to, to picture, licensing, merchandising, you know, that, you know, okay, the minimum wage thing sounds kind of sort of terrible, but you could probably supplement that quite considerably. I mean, this is, these are all based on a solo artist. Obviously, if there's loads of people in the band, then it becomes a slightly different, different thing. Um, Gaz, you, you are keen on this topic. Do you think, I mean, what, what, what would be your thoughts on it? Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Um, it, obviously, you know, we've been talking about sort of the decline of the music industry for a number of years and uh, obviously new model uh, a new model is uh, arriving um i've recently uh, just uh, set up a, a band camp site for my band rocket gold star uh, you can check that out uh, and 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 that's kind of interesting in that it's gives you direct marketing uh and the reason i'm mentioning that in relation to this is that um if you manage to cut out the middlemen, I mean, I, th- I think with something like Bandcamp, just as an example, you make 85, they take 15%. So you're taking 85% of the revenue. So if you compare that to sort of any record deal, I mean, the record deal we had. Well, I, it reverses know, it, doesn't it, basically? It Pretty much, yeah. So, I mean, you know, so you can kind of look at it in this way, where it's actually sort of, it's quite positive, you know. So, but therefore, you know, obviously it comes down to marketing and, that's usually where a lot of the budget goes on uh, trying to promote something. Uh, I, um, so I think that 
so long so long as we can kind of find out ways of you know kind of making uh our you know music sort of uh, visible to people yeah. i mean um then it, uh, i think it's actually quite you know i think you know what you were saying there like if you can sell 1800 units in a month um that's not too far, is it? You know, well, it doesn't. Not, I mean, it doesn't seem to me. I mean, because also you got to bear in mind that now we have the possibility of going. I put a couple of tracks together, tested the water to see whether anybody was interested. Blimey, people are interested. I'll make a record. That means, do you see what I mean? And there, there are ways of funding that process. I mean, Tara, you must be very conscious of this as well. In terms of, you know, I mean, I heard you sigh at the outlet of this, but it doesn't sound to me like mm-hmm. that. It's, it's all that bad news. I mean, sure, if you're expecting no. to make your living from Rhapsody, Last FM, yeah. or perhaps Spotify, then clearly you're screwed. But, you know, there are other ways, and these seem to be yeah. very clear. Yeah, I mean, initially, it's it, it's a lot of... The, the sigh was because it's, you know, it's a, a ton of hard work, and you have to be incredibly organized to um, kind of separate your brain into the business end of it and into the creative end of it. So that's always been my biggest um, challenge, I suppose, is organizing my kind of, um, you know, to-do lists and then going up in the studio and writing something that's actually good. So it's it's great that it's in our hands and, and it's I'm really, really glad to see um, the climate changing. But on the other end of it, yeah, it's, it's you know, you have to be incredibly on top of things. Yeah, I mean, we, we, uh, we've talked about this and, before and in terms of you know, the musician or the artist now having to be a marketer as well and be able to... But, I mean, mm-hmm. in some respects, those things are tied together because the recognition of a, u- a unique idea is kind of generally what makes an artist work, you know, appealing. Mm-hmm. So a unique mm-hmm. idea when applied to the whole picture is not actually perhaps it's not it's it's not that far from from what you need to do anyway do you see what i mean you need you, if you've got a unique aspect to you then you're already halfway there in terms of the marketing because you've got something yeah. that's going to stand out or mm. am i am i um, rather um uh, romanticizing this whole thing mm, no I, I i would i would agree with that yeah um oh, what well, do you think yeah what are you uh, rich i know because you 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 work in a slightly different scenario because you're not actually the the artist who is having to kind of go out and sell and hawk the product i mean but it still has to be done by somebody indeed but to whom by whom i mean i i, I you know i'm gonna sound like the undertaker if i get going on this one <laughs> all i can say is thank god for that wonderful man i work for and i work as a sort of patronized person much like you know Haydn did, uh, and uh, there are very, very few of those jobs. Nobody could go into this counting on a job like that. So, and no, nor sure. did I. So, um, but uh, you know, this is a larger question about how the business has changed and how music sales have dried up to the point where uh, we tour for revenue, where touring used to be to support the music sales. Everybody acknowledges freely that there are no music sales. And so they tour for the revenue. And that's why the record company owns your merchandising or part of it and all that. And uh, um, 1800 a month for minimum wage job, you know, to match the wage you'd make 40 hours a week at a minimum wage job. I, I don't think very many independent artists maintain that for very long. No, perhaps you're, if perhaps you can you're sell eighteen hundred for six months, you're lucky. Yeah, yeah, and it's you not, better be gigging your ass off. 
<laughs> if you're going to sell them for those six months too. Seriously, straight it, up. It, so, and that's minimum wage. You can't live on that. No, no you, but, you can't live no. on that. The important thing to remember here, though, is is we're, we're kind of talking as if everybody had or had a record deal where they were earning like a hundred grand a year. And the 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 the, the difference here is that um, you, it's in the hand of more in the hands of people and less um, uh, in the hands of the very, very few <clears throat> who effectively yeah. acted like gods in the past. Right, right, right. Well, no, yeah, I, I had a record deal and I was living on minimum wage at the time too, well, yeah. so I suppose, but yeah. We've all, you know, most of us here have had record deals of some sort and pro- probably most of us, uh, you know, a few record deals, but none of us or very few of us have made enormous amounts of money out of them. Um, and I, I think in the long run, this is, <clears throat> this is a really, really good thing um, and taking that decision making of who gets to sell music out of the hands of a very, very few elite um, who really have nothing more than money um, as their goal, I think is really, really a, a great thing. And out of the very kind of scary place that we've been in for the last few years, I think we'll, um, we'll slowly evolve into a place where we'll understand where we are and people will be able to make money in different ways because I don't think iTunes and um, places like that are the, are the future. I think they're an interim. Um, what the future is, is, is obviously the, the million dollar question, but um, I've seen pa- perhaps a lot of uh, um, uh, glimpses of that in, in the last few months of ideas that are coming along. And um, I think they're incredibly interesting. So, um, I, I, you know, watch the, watch the, 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 watch the internet and let's see what happens in the next few years. Well, one thing that is kind of interesting that certainly seems to be happening in the movie and TV industry is that, uh, because of the enormous amount of money that, uh, distributors are paying to license, uh, content, you know, to be able to say Netflix could stream, uh, you know, all of Warner Brothers studio stuff, all the, the, the latest movie releases, they're paying out kind of billions of dollars in licensing. And there comes a point where you just go, well, why bother? Let's just sign some artists and have exclusive content. And you can kind of get the feeling that something like that, working for, say, maybe uh, CD Baby, Amazon, or iTunes, or Rhapsody, or or Spotify, where they had something that nobody else had, could really kick this whole subscription model and the, and the number of streams you need, need to make some money into a completely different zone and make it actually work. So the distributor yeah. effectively becomes the label. Yeah, quite, quite, quite possibly. I think there is, I don't even think there will be one way. I think there will be multiple ways. And, you know, again, I think it's all good. Mm. I really do. Yeah. Well, I do hope so. Dave, you've, you've been silent for far too long. I need you to say something. <laughs> uh, nothing really to add. I mean, I just, I, I had a very long conversation with Math on the, uh, on the evening of the party which I found yes. quite intriguing. Sorry and, about that. Uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. It was all good, actually. <laughs> I mean, it's quite interesting that you know, we make instruments, but I also work for a few artists who were fortunate enough to make most of their money pre-internet, as it were. But what I find really fascinating is that, you know, there's a lot of artists who are sort of saying that it's not working. And obviously, you know, for various reasons, we're relatively, well, we are a small company. But when you go to NAM, NAM's just like this huge industry and it lives off the backs of musicians. So it's a kind of paradox in a way. Mm. 
Well, I suppose there's there's the aspir you know the aspir there's the making and then there's the consuming. They're kind of obviously quite closely intertwined in a lot of cases. But when it comes to sort of the mass consumption of product, you know, whether that be music or whatever, then you know there are enormous amounts of sales to be had. You know, if you get that sort of recognition. And it's not just it's not down to it's, but it's not just down to selling units. It's about you know getting picked up by a big ad agency and getting some syncs for some major multinational worldwide campaign. You know whatever all of that stuff is what makes people a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. You know yeah. the, the the just kind of I'm doing my own thing, making a record, selling you know two thousand units a, a month and supplementing it via other other methods. There there's got to be people out there who who are capable of doing that. If not doing that, 155 units a month. I mean we're talking about yeah you could sell. Maybe, say, if you take CD Baby as the model, say you sell two grand, 2,000 units one month, and then it tails off. You know, that works out over the, over the course of a year to around about the same thing, and, and certainly not, you know, possibly more if you, if you release more product. You know. Also, this is, this is really important as well. I just reading something on the forum um, uh, via Shaggy, is, uh, who's just put, um, again, I'm lucky to have the ability to make music just for the love of it. The point is, don't let's not get confused. Music isn't the music business. Sure, they're they're, they're separate things. So, um, people sometimes I, I I even hear people saying, "Oh, the internet's killing music." What 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 the heck does that mean? The internet's not killing music. All the internet has done is changed the distribution and the the way money is made from music. And in the long term, I think that's a great thing. It's not killed music. In fact. I think it's been a bit, technology, including the internet and all the technology we're talking about today, has certainly increased the amount of people that have the ability to make really high quality music at home and distribute it themselves, and that's just fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And supplement, you know, maybe they're not looking to make their entire living out of music; yeah. they're just looking to kind of, you know, have a, a, a part-time job and a part-time music thing. But yeah, yeah it's interesting. I mean, I think you're right, Matt. The whole thing is about change, and change on this scale uh, is kind of can be very uncomfortable. Um, and it's I think you know, yeah. at the moment, um, we're you know, we're, I don't know, we're probably I don't know how far we are through the cycle. But you know, you take the publishing industry in terms of you know print, then they're just starting up this whole thing, and they you know they've got a whole lot of changing to do as well. So there's a lot of a, a lot of shift just generally going on but an interesting article i knew it would generate some mm. some other discussion of course perhaps we could finish on the most flexible synth model to module to bring it back to the music technology that we know and love <laughs> and uh you know possibly even michelle maybe uh, maybe compelled to, uh, to to have some input here uh, you could it could be purely for cosmetic reasons or from what you've heard what you know whatever if that doesn't sound too patronizing which i'm i'm realizing it actually does so i'm sorry about that but most <laughs> most flexible synth module okay we're thinking about uh, if you had one, you only you could only choose one, um, but you could maybe have more than one of them. So you know, like an envelope or an LFO or an oscillator, or whatever, one of those things. So I'm going to start with you, Dave, because you're very synthy. I want you to get the ball rolling here. Okay, and um, we are just talking about individual modules. Here, yes, yeah? that's right. So and not not a whole multiples synth. of them. Yes, you can have multiples of them, but you can only have one type. Oscillators. Yeah. <laughs> the more oscillators, the better. Right. <laughs> Just make it sound like that massive Nova chord type sound. Okay. Well, that's. Is everybody going to go for the same module then? That's rather because <laughs> that that'll rather that'll be a tumbleweed moment right there, and I haven't got it queued up. Uh, math. Yes. <laughs> uh, so, shall I ask you this question, or should I move it on? 
No, go on, ask me again. I was actually doing something while you asked the question. I'm sorry. Oh, that's <laughs> all right. The, yeah. the, mo- the, the, the sing- you're allowed one synth module, uh, an element of a synth module, like a modular, you know, just one thing. Uh, you can have as many of them as you like. What would it be, though? What would be can the... I, can, I, can I go for a ring mod so I can sound like oh, a Dalek? Oh, man. I see. I just stole Terra Slender there. No, yeah. I'll do something different, though. You're going to do the Dalek. That's cool. Yeah, okay. it's just because I just sit around all day pretending to be a Dalek. <laughs> yeah, phoning people and leaving prank, prank answer phone messages. <laughs> exactly. It's got to be done. Okay, Tara, <laughs> you can go next. Well, I wanted to do Ring Mod, but it has to be something where I can run my voice. Oh, yeah, you can run your voice through it. But then you can also um, you can pitch the frequency. So maybe you could make some weird little chords with it if you had more than one. But I don't, I don't know. It's a, I'm kind of not knowing what I'm talking about at the moment. But, <laughs> yeah, lots and lots of uh, ring mods might be nice. Yeah, okay. Rich Hilton. Low-pass filter. A low-pass filter has to, would have to resonate. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm okay. Just, okay. I'm just thinking, because if you got enough of them together, you could make enough tones and you could make kind of complicated. Okay, I'll all right. One. I'll take one good one. One good like one. A mold. Like All a right. mold, for example. <laughs> okay, Gaz, what's your, uh, what's your preferred synthesizer? Is, synth- synth- is a sampler cheating? Yes. It's cheating, is it? <laughs> 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 oh. Well, no, um, I suppose if it just samples and doesn't do anything else, but I can't think of a module that does that off the top of my head. It just um, samples, doesn't play. Dope, dope for a goat. Dope for a goat. All right, you can have one of those then. <laughs> So, Thanks. Michelle, Michelle, this, this, this is going to sound like a heavily loaded question. Um, clearly, it's going to be a Moog module, of, a Moog module of some description. <laughs> I'm, going to of e- I'm going to have a lot of edits in this, aren't I? I could tell all my replacement Moog Moog moments. Is there any of, any of all of the stuff that you've seen of uh, your, your, your father's work that uh, is perhaps the most appealing module? <laughs> or is this a, a bit of an abstract question? Oh, I don't think it's abstract at all. I just, um, as as ironic, terribly ironic as it is, I don't think I know enough about them technically to, to, to claim a favorite. Although, if you interview me in a year or two, I hope that answer will change. Okay, well, it's a date. I'll put it in the diary now. We'll hold you to that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put yes, it and we'll hold see. me to it. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're supposed to have um, lessons on the wall of doom, aren't we, Michelle? Lessons uh-huh. on the Wall of Doom. Oh, what is that? Yes, that sounds- yes, yes. That's I've been asking Eric Norlander to give me uh, modular synthesis lessons on his enormous custom Moog modular system that is lovingly referred to as the Wall of Doom. Has over a hundred modules, twenty oscillators, <laughs> and a whole bunch of other stuff. So I'm, I'm hoping that he'll he'll indulge me at some point, and my ignorance will turn into enlightenment. That sounds like an awesome um, series of, of events that I, I'd like. To, can I come to that too? That sounds brilliant. <laughs> yes, you know, we're, we're actually hoping to um, get him up here to Asheville. He's, um, he's been working in Florida a bit, and uh, the Wall of Doom is actually here in Asheville at the moment. It won't Ooh. be for long. And uh, we're hoping to, to uh, videotape a, an educational series with him. So maybe I can... Uh, um, gain some enlightenment when we do that and share it with many, many other people. Sounds great. Yeah. I think my, my I, I, I was going to go for an, uh, a low-frequency oscillator because if it went up into audio rates as well, then it would sort of double as an oscillator too, you see. So I was kind of, oh, I was going for the, <laughs> see, uh, I, 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 I kind of hedged my bets there. 
Um, anyway, well, thank you ever so much to everybody for joining us. Uh, it's been a, a great episode, and uh, it's it's good to have uh, new guests, and it's great to talk to you, Michelle, and sort of have a more feminine, feminine aspect to the panel, which is we've only ever had one one girl on the panel at any one time so you've broken a record as well so thank you very much michelle uh, for your uh, involvement today smashing genres well, smashing genres yeah. <laughs> that's right well thank you for having me it's been a pleasure being here so uh moogfoundation.org um there's no, no 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 oh wrong. Didn't get away with that one. MoogFoundation.org, where you can go and find out all about the Bob Moog Foundation and uh, donate and just kind of get involved and see what kind of events are going on and what they're up to. And uh, we'll also say uh, thank you very much to Rich Hilton over in Connecticut. Thank you for joining us this week, Rich. Been a pleasure as ever. Big fun. Really enjoyed it. Thanks to our guests and, and as always to you guys. And uh, so myspace.com forward slash Hiltonius, of course, so uh, you can go and see what Rich is up to. And uh, well, coming back this way, we'll say thank you very much to uh, Math and Tara, Tara Bush, Analog Suicide, uh, tarabush.com. Uh, very good. Have you got a special URL for the project you're working on, or is that going to be um, going to be able to find um, out? I think we'll, we'll update it all via Analog Suicide. I think uh, we, we're relaunching that, as we said, in, a, in, in a, hopefully a few days. And, ah, okay. Um, but big section for that one. On we that. do have the, the Facebook fan page. Yes. I will send us the links and I can put it in the show notes and everything. So thank you very much. Yeah, Welcome. of course. Of course. Welcome. Well, cool. thank you. And uh, coming back close to home, um, Dave Spears, G4Software.com. Thank you for joining us. I'm sure you're probably, pr I can just imagine you're pressed up against the screen of your computer, hemmed in by the, uh, the, uh, the a tutorial keyboard that you've got there. Yes. How do yes, you, it is like that. Do you have to crawl? Do you have to crawl under it to get to work now? Well, getting it, getting past it's a problem because we've got that on one side and the Chamberlain on the other side. And uh, yeah, yeah, getting it in yesterday was a bit of a bit of a schlep. But yeah, thank you very much, and to everybody listening, donate, donate, donate. Yes, absolutely. Yes, thank you very much. Thank you. And um, Gaz in Bristol, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, songsurgeon.co.uk to see what Gaz is up to and uh, what, what kind of talents the man has. Oh, <laughs> thanks, Gaz. Yeah, thank you. Uh, that was – sorry, Michelle, yeah? I was just going to say thank you, Nick, for all the work that you guys do at Sonic State to you know, keep the, the synth world informed and up to date. Oh, thank you. That's very kind to say so. It's, it's, it's a, a labor of love. It's something that I enjoy doing. In fact, um, the podcast got a, a mention on, uh, tape, in Tape Hop um, oh, this, this week. Yeah, I, I think I put the uh, issue 81. If you go to tapehop.com, uh, there's a roundup of uh, music and recording podcasts, and we get a mention there as well. I think we, by the look of it, we've got that we win in terms of the episode count. <laughs> so go team. Well done, everybody. <laughs> and, well, and of course, thank you very much to everybody in the chat room. Uh, been a bumper week. I'm glad that the streaming and the chat room is held up. It looks like the new technology is just about hanging together. That extra gaffer tape and string I invested in is definitely paying off. So uh, thank you very much. Uh, that was Sonic Talk number uh, 60. Oh, and one more thing. Thank you very much to Akai Pete in the chat room. Uh, he helped set up the IRC server. Very much appreciated. And also to everybody in the chat room who kind of chips in with very useful information and helps yeah. keep the live show as thrilling as ever it keeps us on our toes thanks very much it's a wrap <laughs>